The Incomparable, number 352, May 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. Very special episode. We're going to break from our tradition of not talking about uh, new release films to talk about a new release film. That's right. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. We're going to talk about it. I've seen it one time. I didn't take notes because I was watching a movie in the movie theater. But we're still going to talk about it with these fine people. Helene Wecker is back. Hello. Hi. It wasn't Zardoz. No, it was not Zardoz. <laughs> I think that was the last thing we inflicted on you. So, you know, it wasn't Zardoz. <laughs> Kelly Gamont is also here. Hi, Kelly. Hi. I'm really excited to be here and get to talk about this. Yay. So it'll be fun. David J. Lohr is here, as co- he is contractually obligated to be, I think. <laughs> Hi, David. <laughs> Hi. Uh, so, Trash Panda, is that bad? Is that good? <laughs> I'm just, because, yeah, you know, I bad. get that. <laughs> it's oh. bad. It's so Damn much it. worse. And uh, and Chip Sutterth is here. Chip saw the movie twice because he is a professional. Hi, Chip. Chains keep us together, Jason. Mm. I, I thought you saw it three times. Once, twice, three times. But I saw the ending of the movie once. Wow. Well, you you did you did your work. You did your research. I think that's the important thing. This you did your research. So, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, hot on the heels of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy the original. Volume one now retcon that um, it was uh, you know Guardians of the Galaxy the original was uh, one of the things about it that I think appealed to a lot of people is that it was a very different feeling movie than what one might expect from a Marvel comics blockbuster um, and uh, right I mean it was like it didn't it didn't do much tying in it had the wacky soundtrack it was more kind of a fun funny adventure. And I feel like Volume 2 was very much uh, informed by that. Like, let's lean into that. Let's do sort of everything we did the last time, but a little bit more and a little bit further. Does that sound about right? Does, that, does everybody get that sense? It's Guardians of the Galaxy in volume. <laughs> well, that's how they make it <laughs> up. Guardian harder. That's how they save yep. money. Yeah. Volume, volume, Make it volume. up in volume. Yeah. yeah. The Marvel movies up to that point, they had their light moments, uh, but Guardians of the Galaxy, the original was just fun just big fun i know some people who didn't just embrace it wholeheartedly the way i did and I, it was it was like my favorite marvel movie and just magical and fun and star warsy and stuff um mm. and i really do think that they uh saw the things that worked about guardians of the galaxy and leaned in hard for this one Oh yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. No shock, it's my favorite Marvel movie because <laughs> it's just fun. And uh, you know, I saw a lot of reviews of this one before I saw it that were like, "Oh well, you know, it does what the first one did, and the first one was surprising, and this one was fine, but you know, you can't you can't do surprise twice." So they did whatever, and and so they were a little grumpy. They were a little you know muted. And I, I came out of this one all, you know, me and the boys saw it together. We loved it. We, th- I, I, all three of us liked it better than the first one. Um, and, and the thing about both of them that I think the reason we love them more than most of the Marvel movies to carry on a running joke is also location, location, location. It's very far away from anything else. Yeah. That's totally true. One of the things I enjoyed about it when I watched it was, 
to me, it didn't feel like the same movie again. It just right. felt like they knew the moments that worked in the first one and sort of like the mix that they needed in order for the chemistry to happen. And so then that's what they that's the parts that they sort of made. Like they didn't shoot the same movie a second time. And like that was sort of the impression I got from reading some of those same reviews was that people were like not into it. And I'm like, you know, not everybody goes to a Marvel movie for Kenneth Branagh. Like some people go to a Marvel what? movie for something like this. I said, not everybody. Because <laughs> okay. it may not be everybody. Well, he only directed um, Thor, so after that, he wasn't involved. But yeah, so, but, but like, I, I get it yeah. was very much. It very much feels to me like some of those people's expectations weren't managed. It feels like these are the same people who wanted so much more out of, say, the Charlie's Angels movie than they got. And all I can say to those people is, you know what it's based on, <laughs> like manage those expectations you have to go in to me this felt like the first sort of summer movie i guess with the air quotes that you can totally see on a podcast um that i've seen in a long time primarily because it was light and fun and like there was there were touching moments there were some things that that totally made me extra happy that i'm sure we'll get into later but for the most part i just i went in and i had popcorn out of a baby group popcorn container <laughs> and had a great time and when i came out i felt better than i had when i went in and mm. you know i had been completely entertained for those couple of hours and it seemed like it was fun and so it was i really enjoyed it it looked beautiful it sounded beautiful. The actors all did an amazing job of their performances. And, you know, like none of the CG stuff was super noticeable to me, which was one of my hangups with Rogue One. So I was into it. I was there. I was like totally with it the whole time and had a blast. I'll be the um, the, the person who is more in tune with the uh, the critics. Blasphemer! Sorry, no, sorry. Um, I felt like... This movie just was much more aware of itself than the first one. The first one was such a startling um, sort of revelation. And the it, it, to me, that I went in and I was like, I didn't expect that in the least. And this one, and I know that that's part of, you know, the first movie and then, you know, sequelitis, the, the, it's, it's part of what you have to sort of deal with. But even sort of taking that into account, it was, it wore itself much more heavily than the first one, if that makes sense. It, you could see yeah. the muscles and the, the sinews and the strings moving, um, in a way that I felt like I couldn't with the first. And maybe that part of that was that the cast of characters was a little larger and you had to deal with more people sort of running around and, and being separated from each other. And not not to say that I didn't like it, because I really did like it, but I didn't leave with the song in my heart that I did with the first one. And of course, that's impossible sometimes to duplicate. So, so even though I... I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but I was like, this one was a good movie, but I didn't have the, oh my God, I want to go buy a ticket and see that again, uh, way the uh, reaction that I did with the first one. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I think I'm more with Helene here, um, but although my experience with the first movie, I liked it in the theater and 
every time I've seen it since then, I've actually liked it more. So I don't yes. know how I'm going to feel about this one because I felt I also liked it. I appreciated it. I did not come out thinking it was the most amazing movie ever, but it may grow on me. I do agree. I think one of the problems with uh, with replicating the success of that movie is that it, the, the original is that it was a surprise. And now we're, you know, it was a surprise departure from the tone of a Marvel movie. And of course, with the cosmic setting, it, it was a surprise. And the surprise was part of the fun. And this movie is not a surprise. This movie is mm-hmm. what it said on the tin. It, it is. Re- <laughs> it, it, it's not it can't replicate the surprise, but it can replicate the feelings. And that's what it tries to do. And I think it does a pretty good job, although there are aspects, you know, James Gunn, who wrote and directed this movie, you know, he has his ideas about what a Guardians of the Galaxy movie should be. And you always have to ask, like, is his idea of what a a successful Guardians of the Galaxy movie the same as mine or yours or any other viewers? And the one thing that I'm trying to figure out what struck me weird about this movie, and I think one of them is that the original felt a little bit more like a travelogue of this weird space world. And if you think about it, what happens very early on in this movie is that Peter and Gamora and Drax go meet Ego and go to his planet. And they don't leave until the end of the movie. So they don't, you know, it's not not much of a travelogue. The, the other characters go to like one other location, but basically that part of it is not part of what this movie is. This movie is really about the characters and this very specific set of interactions and dis- and discoveries, right? Like self discoveries and and secrets that are uncovered. And again, I, I I enjoyed it a lot, and it might end up really growing on me in multiple viewings like the last one did, but it did feel a little bit different. Like, instead of having a pinch of all of those different things, it had like a cup of all of those different ingredients. And it, it's that's good on one level, but it's not the same, and it's hard to replicate mm-hmm. that experience. And and the thing that did bother me about this one is that the the section of the movie with with Peter and Gamora and Drax with Ego, a lot of that is a lot of waiting. And it's very passive. And it's, oh, here's this wonderful place. And you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. But they're not really doing anything. I felt like they were going to go somewhere else. That was actually a thing that I had in the middle of the movie where it sags. And I guess, again, I don't want to be that person who's like, no, I have no uh, I I have no patience. Uh, I just want more explosions. I don't want to be that person. At the same time, in the middle of this movie, I was like, I had that moment where I was like, oh, you know, they're not going to go anywhere else. Like, I kept waiting for there to be a revelation, and then they have to go somewhere and all that. And it's like, nope, they're not. This is the movie. They're just going to be on this planet (laughs) for the whole rest of the movie. So when I first first saw the movie, the first attempt I made to see the movie, (laughs) uh, two-thirds of the way into the movie, a minor emergency happens, and I have to leave the film. So right when Peter Quill's eyes go all Starfield, and he says he can see (gasps) eternity, that's when I had to leave. Oh, no. Oh, oh no! It's Worst all fine, possible Chip. time fine. because so so. Well, nothing I'm, happened after that. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just played catch with his dad, and everybody had a yeah. good time. They all yeah. went on a picnic. And exactly. some Cat Stevens. As I was outside the theater, stewing um, and complaining <laughs> and grumping, I'm also replaying the movie in my head, and it's felt like a 
series of episodes of the Guardians of the Galaxy TV series, yes. which is a soap opera. And it and I I didn't feel super satisfied. That, that is exactly what I have here in my notes. This felt to me like the second season of the Guardians of the Galaxy TV series compressed into movie length. That it was it had those beats to it. And maybe this is like a result of, of TV becoming more cinematic and, and, and how some of the, you know, the difference now being mainly just length. But it was like you could almost see where, okay, this is the first episode. This is the second episode. This is where this part is going to come back. And now we've got the lull. This is the mid-season lull where everyone sort of sits around yeah. and waits for other things to happen <laughs> off screen. And then, you know, it, it, it and maybe, maybe part of that is because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe process where it's like you know these characters are going to get used again and again and again so you can't have too much happen to them you can't make too many drastic changes that all you've got are like these sort of character beats and these small changes mm. but i really did and and i felt like that was part of the reason why by the end of the movie i felt pretty much the same as I had at the beginning of the movie about all of these characters <laughs> um, was that we had gone through a thing and now we're back again and everyone's had a hug and a cry and now, you know, season break and then we're going to go on, you know, next year to something else. Hmm. Now, see, when in that big sag in the middle, when Mantis is about to tell Drax, there's something weird going on and then they don't follow through on it and then it's like you know 25 minutes yeah. later oh there's that thing she was going to tell you and it's like no 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 you just don't don't wait oh so it was like something almost happens and then but you know for all that i and i th i think what worked for us was the characters it wasn't so much the plot although i you know i liked i think i liked the plot of this one better than the first one i don't know that i liked the execution of the plot better um, but I thought it was a little more interesting, but it was the, the characters developed a little bit more, I think from this one than in the first one, in the first one, it's like, here's a raccoon. He's a wise cracking raccoon. Here's a tree, you know, and, and, and this one allows them all to sort of do slightly different things. Yeah. The first one's a travelogue. The second, right. the second one's a character study it, yeah, right. agreed. Yeah. with, with, with. Uh, such a lean in on the family theme. Um, mm -hmm. the, and, and this is, this is, this movie is all about family and it gets super sentimental about that in the end. And it's either going to hit you or it's not, depending on, um, depending on your appetite for character driven stuff and for <laughs> sentimentality, I suppose. Well, and I'm a sentimental person. I totally am. I have to put that out there. And also this worked for me because one of the th one of the points that it tries to drive home, you know, is that um f family is, you know, the definition of family is up to you. Whoever you are, your family is yeah. is, is is partly up to you. There's right. chosen family and then there's like the people you are related to. And sometimes the ones you consider your family and keep close and, and really care about, you know, aren't necessarily people who are genetically related to you. And I'm an adopted kid and I have divorced parents who remarried other people. So my definition of family has always been flexible. So anytime anybody else sort of gets into that realm and sort of normalizes that and makes it okay, 
that I have this other definition of these people in my life who I care about and love and and they are my family and you know a blood test isn't going to tell you that I'm always really pleased to see that in a movie and I'm also a complete marshmallow so anytime (laughs) I get something sentimental like that as a bonus like the whole thing with with Yondu made me so happy yeah, it's it's also fair. I say I think it's fair play. If somebody comes out of this movie going, "What the heck was that all about?" I, I would recommend that they look at the first scene of the f- original movie. I mean, it is about yeah. yep. Peter's mom dying and him getting. That, I mean, the cassette tape and with the old music. That's not just there. I mean, it is there to set a tone for the movie. If you want to take the outside, the I guess that's the Doyleist perspective. My God, I can't believe I'm <laughs> going here. But right, but from the internal logic, <laughs> the Watsonian, the internal logic perspective of the movie. I mean what that is about is about Peter and his mom and that she's picked mm-hmm. this music that she loves from the seventies, even though he's a kid in the eighties. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, that's what that's all about from the first scene where she dies and he runs away with the stuff and then is kidnapped by Yondu. And then it all, you know, it's, this movie is kind of paying off Peter's story, but totally fair play. Like this, this movie is not diverging from like the themes of the previous movie in any way. I think it's completely fair in doing that. I just, and, and I love that part of it. I like like the aspect i feel like um and something else we can throw in here i feel like the uh, relationship between gamora and nebula is more interesting than in the last movie yes and, and, so and, much right and, and the sisters and they don't get along because they're dead as thanos what you gonna do but um i felt like there could have been even more there that i was a little disappointed that there wasn't more but i was happy that yeah. it was more mm-hmm. than in the last movie and that adds to the the piling on of the family stuff i have to admit though the thing that maybe struck me wrong and it, it also explains the sag in the middle of the movie is like kurt russell shows up and he's peter's great god dad and they play ball they play catch and stuff like that and he has a planet that is paradise and he takes them back there and you know i don't know i kind of expected something like i I expected the movie to play with me a little bit right because it's Mm -hmm. so clear Mm -hmm. from the beginning that where this story is going which is he's not going to be all right he's not going to be all he seems and there's going to be something bad and it's going to have to be resolved and it turns out that he's not the guy that peter thinks he is and all of that right like going in the first scene you're like all right i know where this is going and unfortunately that's all it did that is exactly (laughs) where it went that's it (laughs) what they do is instead of uh play with it or, or or string it along in an interesting way they just cut away to rocket and yondu yeah. Right, which is mm-hmm. way more interesting. I think that was maybe at at the heart of it. One of my main, the my the main reasons I was sort of a little disappointed coming out of the movie was that Peter Quill was such the heart and soul of the first movie, and I, you know, there's so many arrested man children in in cinema in modern (laughs) cinema and if you want to take like the ultimate arrested man child and give him the best reason possible for being that arrested man child it is peter quill it is that literally he was stolen from earth on the night of his mother's death when he was a kid and in so many ways he is still back there at the hospital bedside with his mom. And that just informed the entire first movie. It was the reason why he risked his life to go back and get the Walkman and all of those sort of character beats um, that I felt like this movie sort of sold him short. He spends a lot of time standing Mm -hmm. around uh, looking at Kurt Russell's giant 
dioramas of himself and, yep. <laughs> you know, sort of getting Vaguely fed information. dioramas. Yeah. All very look, sort of plastic extruded looking things of himself. <laughs> yeah. It was very 3D printed, but it got weird. <laughs> yes. it. Like, I, I really hope he, he has like th- that, that Kurt Russell ego has like the giant hall of dioramas of himself there all the time. And it's not just for when his son comes to visit. It's like he just sort of wanders through them looking at them every once in a while going, yep, I did that. That was a good one. There's a separate hall that's just Kurt Russell films. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I imagine there's like a Mount Rushmore that's just a bunch of ego heads and then it's, there's a hall of oil paintings that's all just paintings uh, of ego and then like that's just the whole planet is just entirely it's that. It's a millennia. It's a giant doll museum. It's Mount Russellmore. <laughs> and it would have been funny funnier to have it right i mean like I, you could play you could play into it and have him play like oh geez and then have peter realize well no he's more nuanced than that and then find out well no no he's really not that but they don't do right. that either he's just like ego is i would say and i wasn't solving a mystery here ego is exactly what i expect him to be in the grand sense of being a disappointing dad and so and you're right helene it's sidelines Peter Quill for a large portion of the movie he is defanged and not interesting and not doing anything he's just sort of standing around saying whoa a lot yeah not only is he passive because of Kurt Russell he's passive because of Gamora you made me come here you made me listen to him now you want me to leave there's no there's no real choice on his part it's very odd and I, I get the argument that maybe Peter Quill is the emotional center of Guardians of the Galaxy, but he's not as outsized a personality as uh, some of the other characters. And so maybe that's James Gunn's decision. Like, I'm going to give Peter this uh, this emotional arc and outside of it, I'm going to have some shenanigans with these other other characters that are are, are going to be the, the more action and more kind of zany, jokey material. I get that. It's just that, I, you know, I think Peter's more than just the emotional center, right? I mean, he is also a funny character. Chris Pratt is a very talented actor. And, mm-hmm. and so that's it. Because, I mean, to take a step away from Peter and Ego for a minute, like, we do have, there's, there is so much great... So we get Baby Groot for this entire movie until the end credits. Uh, and he made the movie. Uh, and, and boy, you know, I I feel like that was the moment where somebody had a funny idea to put Baby Groot in the credits to show, right, that show that Groot didn't die or at least part of Groot survived and is now going to be Baby Groot and dances in the credits of the first movie, right? And then you come to this movie, like, what are we going to do with Groot? And it's like, we're going to just do Baby Groot. Baby Groot was so great. Can we can we sustain that for a whole movie? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you oh, can. yeah. It's a, totally, it's amazing. Yeah. It's one hell of a calculated move, but yes, you can. But it, it totally works. And then at the very end, we see Grumpy Teenage Groot. But um, <laughs> and, and that brings me to not only before we go into the other characters like Baby Groot. Baby Groot's really great throughout, but that opening sequence is one of the I want to say it's the best opening sequence in a movie I've seen since Watchmen. In that the way the the confidence, the way that it's shot, where it is just mm-hmm. Baby Groot, and we we basically stay on Baby Groot, and as a, an entire huge sci-fi battle happens behind him, out of focus and off screen, and with sound effects, and I love the it's so great and so. Nervy clever Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. to do it that Mm -hmm. way and it's not like you can't see it it's not like they were saving money like it's still very expensive to render (laughs) out of focus 
space octopus monsters, but uh, what what a choice to do it! And I mean, it, the movie kind of won my heart right there. That we have baby, yeah. the adventures of baby Groot, who just wants to dance. You say the the opening scene of the first one is kind of the oh. the mission statement of the the whole thing. This scene is kind of the mission statement of this. It's saying, you know, here's all this action. This is all still here. You're not going to miss anything, but we're focusing on the character. We're focusing on Yeah, that's, this. that's true. It is that explicit, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's and, a hell uh, of a dance number. The third, the third time I saw it, it was in 3D, and the the 3D actually really, really, really pops in huh. this credit really? Chip, I want to know why you had to see this three times. You told us about the first one. What happened the second time? Second time was actually sitting through the whole thing because, damn it, I wanted to see how it ended. And then the third time was, hey, I'm going to be on The Incomparable. Ah, uh, okay. Uh. <laughs> but he had to leave to get back for the podcast, right? Yeah, so I lost the ending again. Oh, my gosh. That was just although now? This, although this time, uh, Rocket it's handing Yondu the spacesuit and the jetpack, and I'm like, I know what's coming. Oh. I gotta go. And then you had to go. Yeah. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you in part by Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. I sleep on a Casper mattress. I love it. I think you'll love it too. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. The best part about Casper, you can try it for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. Again, let me explain this to you. You could sleep on the Casper mattress for 99 nights and then decide you don't love it. And guess what happens? They will pick it up and refund you everything. Casper gets it. You need to sleep on a mattress before you commit. You don't want to just lay on it for five minutes in a showroom. If you're going to spend a third of your life on a mattress, you should sleep on it and find out if it's right for you. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. I love mine. I've had it for a couple of years now. I would not give it up for the world. It is such an improvement over my mattress that I bought in one of those mattress stores and uh, took, a, took a gamble and it didn't pay off. And I paid a lot of money for a mattress I didn't like. With Casper, I didn't have to worry about it. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase at Casper. Just go to casper.com slash Snell and use the offer code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring The Incomparable. So Baby Groot, like total total triumph, right? I mean, it's like, how do you replace Groot? Such a wonderful character. Can you can this Baby Groot version do it? And you know, he's unreliable, even more unreliable than Groot. Groot was already <laughs> let's let's not whitewash it. Groot was not reliable, but Baby Groot is really not reliable. The, the, oh, not the, that button! The, ex, the whole extended. I need you to. I need you to unreliable. steal this thing. I need you to steal this thing from my bedside stand. Right? It's just. <laughs> I, I. It's in there. I need you to get it. And I really did enjoy that. Just it went on about twenty seconds too long, but <laughs> I was willing to give it to it because it was Baby Groot being Baby Groot, well, and he's just so awesome. I like the escalation where first he's yes. bringing stuff yes. back. Yes. And then, and then uh, after they do that for a little while, then they show him a, a little bit, and then you're like, "Oh, geez, what's going to happen now?" But it's just, yeah, it's mm. increasingly, increasingly ludicrous. So that was, yeah, Baby Groot. What a, it's a good decision. Great. Is, is that a funny. toe? Yeah. Oh <laughs> my Michael God. Michael expression on the toe. <laughs> oh, it was. Just forget it. We just need to it. talk about Michael Rucker just for a minute. Yeah, let's do it. Oh yeah. So spectacular. I liked him in the first movie a lot, and I liked that he was back, and then they gave him so much more to do 
in this I movie, know. which is which mm-hmm. is good because again, we're not. This is all you should see the movie. We're going to spoil everything here, but he dies at the end, and it's sad. But he was so great in the whole oh. movie that I was happy that that we got yeah. that much. Of of Michael, I mean, I like Michael Rooker and everything. I loved him in the in the Walking Dead back when I was watching the Walking Dead, and as Yondu in the first movie, and he is really great in this. He like kind a of good, steals Days of Thunder. It's a good performance. That's how far I've liked him because he's like <laughs> your villain that turns out not to be the villain, and he plays it really well. That he's yeah. the, and we get the revelation that he was really saving Peter. Um, by not by not delivering him to his dad, which is which is that's you know, that's such a beautiful turn. He wasn't asked. Oh, after all, that was the line at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I was interested because I didn't really remember Yondu from the books, and so um, I was curious where they were going to go with it, what it was going to look like, um, and I really liked that he got those super emotional scenes, and I really thought it was like I was fascinated as soon as he ended up on the ship with Rocket. You know how like what's gonna happen here? Because they're both little rays of sunshine. This is gonna be an interesting <laughs> trip, you know. And it was super fun to get to listen to them. And one of the things that I loved about all of this was that nobody was sort of making their like serious, heartfelt declaration. You know, it was all stuff that sort of got like flew out of people's mouths before they really thought about it. You know, like the whole thing with um, Nebula and Gamora, you know, was you wanted a sparring partner and I just wanted a sister, you know, like, whoa, that changed their whole dynamic all at once. And, you know, his his uh, uh, Yondu's assessment of uh, Rocket as Rocket sort of gets more angry, like, you know, you don't know me. And he's like, oh, yeah, watch this. This is exactly why. And watching them interact. My space beer. Yeah, like blurting that stuff out, which is like the way that sort of thing happens in life. And so watching that go on was just super gratifying to me that we got so much interesting stuff out of him. And then when it became clear what was going to happen to him, I was very, very sad. And what made me the saddest was I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. That was the best. (laughs) That moment moment was gleeful and I just like that's what makes Guardians of the Galaxy for me. Like Yondu dies at the end, and we're all heartbroken. But before that happened, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. It was amazing. And and can we just take a moment for the the scene where they're they're locked away, and and Baby Groot is going off and bringing the stuff back? Because when you think about it, he's the only human being in that scene, and he, mm-hmm. he, you buy it, Ooh. you buy it. He's oh, he does yeah, beautiful acting against against yeah. the computer yeah. animation he benefits so much from the reduced role that chris pratt's given um yes you know he's yeah. he steps up and carries so much more of the movie in terms of you know being fascinating to watch i really wish they hadn't tried to shoehorn in so much backstory for him so quickly um yes. in the scene immediately after when 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 they're in the brothel or whatever it is oh yeah the whole ravager the whole ravager yeah. thing with sylvester, sylvester stallone, stallone i'm judging you and, <laughs> it, yeah exactly and i'm it's like okay you're reintroducing us to yondu and this is going to give us sort of the the uh emotional hook of uh why he got kicked out of the reavers that is then going to turn um, in the in the end of the movie, but you're giving it him 
this opposite Sylvester Stallone. And all I'm doing is looking at this movie thinking, why is Sylvester Stallone here? Why did they get Sylvester Stallone? What lines are you making Sylvester Stallone deliver? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then, and he's just standing there. It's like, he doesn't even, Sylvester Stallone doesn't even try to be anyone other than Sylvester Stallone. So it's like, he's this giant, Rambo-shaped hole in the movie that is just drawing all of this energy to him. And I can't... Afterwards, I was like, wait, what was he saying to Yondu? What was the thing with Yondu and kids? What was that? And then I had to sort of piece it back together after, like, when they were making back references to it. I think it could very easily have been I was, you know, delivering these kids. I figured it out. You were the one I saved without all of the guy getting kicked out of the Reavers and, and you know, sort of reestablishing himself at, at the funeral and all. That just seemed to me to be a lot of unnecessary filler that was surrounding and, and sort of obscuring the thing that I wanted to see, which was just more of Yandu being the asshole with a heart of gold that, that I <laughs> saw in the first one. Yeah. Well, and filler, but and you don't really get it till the end of the movie. Setting up, perhaps something for the next movie, which that's a common problem in Marvel oh, films now. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. I forgot we're about gonna, that. You know, because we're watching it, and you know, you're watching the opening credits, and you see Sylvester Stallone pops up in the opening credits, and then he's in the movie for like I don't know three minutes. Yeah, and you go, bad. why would he get a credit for that? And then at the very end, you're like, oh, because he's coming back. Yeah, and Ving Rhames and Michelle Yeoh, right? That where it's like, I why? I didn't are... even realize that that was Michelle Yeoh until I went to yeah. IMDb, and I was like, <laughs> why did they get Michelle Yeoh? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. For right. those who who don't know, there was originally a Marvel comic called Guardians of the Galaxy that featured a bunch of heroes from the far future, and then they re did Guardians of the Galaxy with a a, sex, a setup much more like what we have in these movies that mm-hmm. that group at the end with Sylvester Stallone and Ving Rhames and Michelle Yeoh and the vo- voice robot voice of Miley Cyrus um, those are what? those are intended to be the original <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy it's a an homage yeah, to the original Guardians of the Galaxy at the end more than it is anything else I and, didn't and, know that and I had to look it up right and the sovereigns and hinting at Adam, uh, Adam, what's this? Adam Warlock. Warlock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's a lot of stuff they're setting up for the, the third well, film. I'm not entirely sure. Other than the Adam Warlock thing, I, I don't think they're even, I don't think it's even a setup necessarily. I think it's like, it's just heavy laying on the references and it may be all that yeah, there maybe. is. So maybe. Okay. So, um, so Rocket in this, what, what I'm, I'm wondering what people feel about how Rocket was handled because I feel like, he he's a fun character. I'm not sure he had a lot further to go emotionally, and he so like you know I I, I don't think he had as much work to be done on him to like de- deepen his character as some of the other uh, characters in the movie. So instead, he's sort of like paired with Yondu, and they have a you know I'm just like you. We're not we're not that different, you yeah. and I kind of moments. But I appreciated Rocket. I think he's great, but I'm not quite sure how much development he had to have here. See, I thought I thought he had a lot of development just because, you know, he starts out and you go, all right, he's still stealing things. Yeah, he's stealing still batteries. Quite. That it is. His, the whole plot yeah. is his fault. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and he's like, you know, I'm not like you. You're not like me. Come on. Um, but then also not just realizing that, yeah, all right, Yandu and I are kind of kind of like, and oh, wait a minute. Yandu is actually kind of a good guy. 
oh, and and so he sort of sees more of a redemption as a redemption more as a possibility for himself, even exactly. if he doesn't necessarily get there at the end of the movie. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think he'll still be um, stealing batteries in volume three. Um, I hope so. Raccoons. But he might feel a little bad about it now. I mean, you know, yeah. but yeah, I, I thought I thought he actually had the most interesting development besides Yondu. I'm not sure that I saw that uh, level of development there. I thought that Brad Cooper did a great job, as usual, with the voice. I thought the animation for Rocket was phenomenal, especially yeah. facial yeah. expression. There's a scene where he's he's like stretched out, and I was just like, man, look at that fur. I can, it is just like amazing, <laughs> right? like yeah. how... Yeah, it's amazing. Where he goes where he goes from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, I don't see a lot of distance traveled. Um, just, he gets... He he has a moment with Yondu, and then it's back to smashy smashy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Drax, similarly, I feel like we we learned a lot of important things about Drax and his sadness and his tragic backstory in the first movie. And in this movie, I feel like they're confident enough in Drax and Rocket. Um, but with Drax, especially like Drax is really funny. Everything Drax does is funny. Let's just use Drax to be funny. And they do. Drax, and Drax, is, Drax. Am- Drax is amazing. Again, I love every I wanted more Drax because Drax is so great and so funny with his yeah. no subtext, always tells the truth. And I just I enjoy him so much. So, again, I, I don't need all these characters to evolve. I'm OK with it. It was just fun right. to have more Drax. But didn't it feel like Drax was a little sudden because when we first meet him, you know, he's seen some stuff and he's very sort of serious and we don't get a lot of um, joy and mirth, I guess, from him. And it seems like in this movie, like every time we see him, he ends up cracking himself up. Mm hmm. Or something. Well, he's found, so a, he's me, found his family, right? His old family died. Yeah. Again, it's the themes of family, right? His he, This is his new family and he's got a home again. Right. But there was never like a nod to that for me. And so I'm just like, why is he laughing all the time? What happened? And then like, you know, they start hitting me over the head with family. And, you know, like I said, I'm never going to complain about that. But like I had to go back and sort of apply that to Drax later as opposed to him having said something, you know, because he's a blurter. As as much as he was laughing through the whole movie, and he's just sort of there to be funny, he also had what for me was one of the most effective emotional beats of the movie, which was that when he was just sitting on Ego's planet, looking out over like the, this gorgeous vista, and he was, you know, he mentioned that that he reminded him of of something he'd taken his daughter to see, and Mantis touched oh, yeah. him and, and started crying and yeah. he's just standing yeah. sitting there with this smile on his face and it was such a sophisticated moment <laughs> that yes. i was yes. so glad that the movie still trusted its audience enough to yeah. take that in and appreciate it for what it was because mantis after she after after she sort of breaks down into tears she almost immediately pulls back a little bit and she's mm-hmm. sort of sitting there with that sort of sad stoic expression as well. And mm-hmm. I, I love what that communicates. But um, mentioning Drax brings me and, and, and Mantis brings me to if I have a big problem with Guardians of the Galaxy, both this movie and the previous one, it's the broness of the humor. <laughs> and yeah. when and 
part of bro humor is a certain level of jocular cruelty where, you know, trash panda is worse and that sort of thing. But when the humor is directed at Mantis, it feels like bullying to me because it's the movie and the characters are making fun of her for being naive and innocent. And when that kind of humor Mm. is being delivered towards Mantis from Drax compared to uh, you just need a woman who's pathetic to uh, Quill, they come across as very, very different to me. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled with her character. She had, I I, I like, I, I saw a couple of critiques that were like, oh, can we be done with empaths already? <laughs> and I think empaths, I, I think it's still a fun concept, especially for, for moments like the one with, with her and Drax where she starts crying. But what what was missing was agency. It wasn't just that she can, you know, the, the fact that yeah. she can feel other people's emotions, that in itself shouldn't make her this sort of helpless sort of wringing her hands all the time character. She just, she was just there. I don't even know why she was there in the end. She um, she was there to put ego to sleep. I guess. That was yeah, it. I guess. That, that was, was it. it. Yeah. No, and to explain the, his secret when he would, wouldn't be ready to reveal it and, and, and get the plot moving. But yeah, I agree. I, it's sort of like, I felt like I wanted more from her about like who she was and why she mm-hmm. was there. I mean, she's meant to be an innocent and she's been raised by, you know, out, out on this planet, essentially on her own. And I, I, I understand that, you know, the um, Drax saying that she's hideous didn't bother me yeah. because it didn't bother yeah. me because it's um, first off, she's not. And it's space. And Drax has very weird, uh, very weird standards, and I enjoyed the the payoff of that, which is that he says, "No, no, you're beautiful on the inside." Which I again, because it's being consistent, Drax's standards of beauty are not the same as other people's, and right. he doesn't have any mm. subtext. So I was okay with it, especially since she's most clearly not hideous. Um, I thought that that was a a funny a funny joke at Drax's expense because he what he sees is not. Um, but then again, I didn't have a problem with um, the doctor not being able to tell Clara's age <laughs> for the same reason, which is it's an alien creature and we're they're they're mm-hmm. the butt of the jokes because they don't understand people. So I was OK well, with and that it. was how I that was how I took Drax was uh, was the same way. It didn't feel it felt to me like um, he was sort of uh, dipping her antenna in the inkwell to kind of you know make that joke like i'm gonna be mean to you because i actually like you and i don't know how to process that um so that was sort oh my of god I was that it. a little house in the prairie joke it totally was mm. <laughs> oh. wow deep cuts wow. <laughs> so, wow that was kind of that was how i took it was like he was just trying to convince her that he didn't like her you know it's that same sort like you know that th- this dynamic is still going on in grade schools to this very day and i and when he first said it i took him at face value it didn't occur to me that there was any sub- such subterfuge there or anything because i'm like maybe he really doesn't like her because she's like half the size and nowhere near as blue as what he generally prefers you know <laughs> like i don't know what ladies look like on drax's planet so i i sort of thought like he was just being honest with her the way he was being honest with Peter. You need a woman who is pathetic like you. You know, I'm 
okay, I guess he's just going to be kind of mean to her as well. And for me, that was why the payoff of that moment where they where they're sitting looking out at the sunset or whatever mm-hmm. it was they're doing um, after she uh, touches him and can feel what he's feeling. That's why for me that had some payoff because I just felt like he he was letting her because he could have told her no, he could have moved away or something and he didn't do it. And so it was sort of to me, it just felt like maybe they were starting to be friends. Maybe he was accepting her and then he did give her the pep talk. You know, you can do this. I believe in you. And I thought that that was also a really nice moment yeah. between the two of them. And, and then uh, the payoff towards the end when he's uh, tr- being buried by ego and tries to save her life and is trying to hold her up. And so holds that, her up. Uh, holds right. her up. And that's great. I do still think that uh, the movie is very unkind to Mantis. I mean, it's not oh, just yeah. Rax's behavior. It's yes. The, it's no, the, I'll give you that 100%. E- even in the, even yeah. in the even in the trailers where they made even a bigger deal of her getting hit by the debris at the end of the trailer. And that's played for laughs. Yeah. Um, you know, Drax's yeah. thing doesn't bother me, but you're right. She is, she's the butt of many jokes and it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I agree. It's not, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do people think of the sovereign, the, uh, gold, the gold people? This is sort of like, I feel like a, uh, the next step after the uh, the Zandarians in the first movie, where I think James Gunn likes to have really kind of highfalutin, uh, p- persnickety aliens, and in this case, they're bad. Um, well, you you have to have Margaret Dumont if you have the Marx Brothers. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I love I love the Sovereigns, and they also they play video yes. games. All of their fights are via vi- <laughs> via video game, which made me laugh a lot. But you know, they're they're perfect, and they will they they are gonna stop them because they stole batteries, and and therefore they must die. Uh, it's a problem though if every time you hire somebody to kill the last people who stole from you, and they all steal from you, like you you're never gonna get any rest. <laughs> they were such a device; they just slid straight off my brain. I, well, the, I they're d- just faceless gold people who are like out there. They, I found them funny, but they're not like they're impervious. They they're made made to slide. I think they may actually be coated in Teflon. They're made to yeah. <laughs> slide right off. <laughs> I didn't know Teflon came in gold. Yeah. Well, space space, space Teflon. Yeah. They are designed. They are they are purely a plot device to uh, create a right. complication yep. when uh, that that gets everybody to ego eventually. Um, Again, going back to my first viewing of the movie and having to check out two thirds of the way through, I got way more sovereign per capita. And, <laughs> oh, that's true. And that was not fun because they were just they were just there. It was loads of fun watching the arcade scenes. First of all, the arcade gag is hysterical. But second, I'm sitting there watching it with my teenage son, who is very much an online gamer, um, and. Uh, and uh, a, a shouter and a yeller and a cursor about it, and the bit the bit towards the end where there's the one the one ace pilot left who's trying to uh, take out the Milano, and all of the other sovereigns are crowded around him, encouraging him on, and then he blows up, and they say, "Oh, you suck." My my son just goes, "Yes, yes, that is exactly what online gaming is like." I love that. Yep. That's called knowing your audience. Yes. Yep. Well, I got to say, I mean, I love at the end when they show up, partly because that's the best use of the song Wham Bam Shang-A-Lang I've heard. I loved that (laughs) moment. It was just, yeah. I love the music direction in both of these films. When they use the chain 
um, with the slow mo walk. I'm yeah. normally I'm like I just roll my eyes at the slow mo <laughs> walk these days, but I have such a deep and um, my affection for the chain um, is is just it. <sighs> <laughs> it makes everything else go away. So, so I was just, I was just there for. That was like the moment I was like, yes, yes, take me with you in the slow mo walk. As long, yeah. as long as we're talking about Fleetwood Mac and 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 love being the thing that will kill you. Yes, let's just do this. <laughs> I really liked the subtext that Fleetwood Mac brought to that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, about. Gamora and Nebula, because that's one of the things that mm. I, I, I there was a lot of talk about the uh, these characters in the first film, and here they are largely pitted against each other. They kind of capture Nebula, and then she sort of escapes, but then she sort of helps them, and they get to they get to have a little bit of an emotional. Uh, I, I mean, again, it's a weird relationship because they're both children of Thanos, and that you know i'm i've always been unclear on exactly what nebula's deal is she's got replacement parts and things like that but we did get to see in the family theme here right they 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 seem to reach some sort of understanding of each other by the end of this movie that they did not have at the beginning or indeed in the last movie karen gillen is is up and down as an actress in doctor who um yes she's she's I think she's generally good, but sometimes she nails it and sometimes she doesn't quite. Um, but the episode of Doctor Who that features her as an older, as an old time, uh, time duplicate, uh, the girl who waited. Oh, um, she is really, so fantastic really in her and that one. Yeah. And that's the Karen Gillan that I saw in this movie. I was so impressed with what she did. She has, mm-hmm. she shows so much more range, so much more steel. She's not just randomly snarly. Um, she is swaggering. She, uh, she has funny moments. She's just, just rolling her eyes at the other people. So much happening there. Um, Nebula is great and Karen Gillan is great. Yeah, their their relationship in the first movie was one of the things that I was disappointed in in that because it's not very there's not very much development at all. There's not it's like here are two women, pit them against each other, done. Mm-hmm. And and you know, she's an indestructible killing machine. Okay. Yeah. This is the relationship I wanted to see there. I wanted to see a little bit more of that set up in the first film, but I thought it was, it was really good in this just as is. Well, getting the whole, like the first movie had some problems, I think script wise, where there was supposed to be Thanos. And then they were like, no, 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 we need Thanos for the Avengers eventually. And so they're like, so you let's make it uh, Ronan, but then he's not there he's not their dad. So they have to like, have this weird, like, well, we'll move some of the Ronin stuff here, but we'll also keep Thanos and they'll talk about Thanos. And, you know, I think it's, I think their relationship suffered because of that decision in the first movie. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. you're right. In in the end, she's just a secondary baddie. She's like the, the, uh, the, the, the thug she's Boba Fett. that's sent out by the main baddie. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and not that interesting. And here she's, she's a lot more interesting. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's good. Um, Gamora, I would say Gamora has a tough, uh, it's a tough part because so with, when she's, she's with, she's got to be the grown up. Yeah. So when she's with her sister, at least there's this sister dynamic and you can see her learning and they, they fight and there's rocks collapsing and all of those things. <laughs> but, but with Quill, yeah, she's like, she's, she's like 
the questioner and trying to bring him down from his high. And that is a that is sort of a thankless role in the in, in the movie and anything like this that be the person who has to be like snap out of it. This paradise that you're seeing can't be real. It's a tough that's a yeah. tough part. And you know, uh, it's she. She ends up sort of coming across as the cyclops. She's the mm-hmm. she's the yeah. stick in the mud. She's the one who's mm-hmm. the has to be the adult in the room, and she knows it at all times. And she's got to herd all of these ridiculous personalities, and she ends up feeling a little <laughs> stiff and uninteresting. I think because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was glad to see the um, the stuff that she had uh, with Nebula in that. It gave her a little bit of something to learn, and you and you could also see her reflexes. Like, I don't care. I'm just going to hit my sister because that's what I'm trained to do. That's that's just the way things have been. Um, and, and that was that that was something she had to get over. But yeah, the stuff with Peter just seemed really undeveloped. Like, I in the very beginning of of their relation, the the first time the two of them are on the screen, and I was like. Wait a minute. So they're exactly where they were at the end of the first movie relationship wise. Like I was totally expecting that they had had a full relationship and then broken it off and that it was going to be them learning like what had gone wrong and why they had to sort of reconfigure and get back to where they were. And not like, oh, we're ju- we've just been in a holding pattern for whatever span of time it is um, between the first movie and the second. Um, that they wouldn't have had, you know, had a conversation since then. Yeah, even it if just it's six months, a little odd. It's still yeah. six months. I mean, it it does, it is sort of indicative of the whole TV season <laughs> style, and and even, I mean, even bringing in Cheers and the whole will they won't they oh. thing. Um, although I, I will say he's exactly right about Sam Cooke. Uh, but again, there's, there's that whole, you know, you made me come here now you want me to leave. And they don't, they don't actually really do much with that. There could have been so much more of, you know, yes, I did think this was the right thing to do. And no, you, we have to go now. Cause I was wrong. That would have right. been a much more interesting, uh, note to play with and, mm-hmm. and to, and to develop their relationship and both of their characters too, because Here's this mistake I've made. I, I got us into this part of the, the plot and yeah. we should yeah. go. As an accidental side effect, though, for the sort of the way it's sort of undercooked, I do appreciate that Gamora doesn't spend the movie, uh, the whole movie, just basically falling over Quill. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> yes. Um, she wa- she maintains her agency and her um, independence and her and her strength as a character throughout. Um, I think in part because they they treat the re- the relationship with restraint. In the end, it's something unspoken, and I, I I would like to have seen them do more with it. But I also wonder if if they had done more with it, would I have uh, bought it as much? I don't know. Well, what was funny to me about that was uh, he made the Cheers reference, and and I'm like, no, wait, moonlighting, and I'm like, wait. Peter wouldn't have been old enough to be watching Moonlighting and appreciate well, it. So. Strictly speaking, he wouldn't have been old enough to watch Cheers. I think he was abducted before Cheers came on. Really? I think. Shh, shh. Okay. I thought it was. It was. I. I thought. No, that that's it not. Was that's not true. Than that. Cheers. Cheers premiered in 1982. Uh, Peter Quill was abducted right. in 1988. Okay. Really? I was going to say 80. I, I thought it was 83. So no, I thought there had been at least a little bit of 1988. It. It's it's yeah. the opening. <laughs> right. The opening oh. of the first movie. There's a title that says 1988. 
I thought it was 83, too. Nope. Okay. What? Sorry. What Never a mind. lucky. Never no, I thought that Cheers was 83, not 82. And I thought I knew he was abducted after that. So that means he never had to put up with Rebecca on Cheers. Oh, oh, lucky. But yeah. I, had the same, I had the same thought about Moonlighting, and uh, which was 85. And I'm a little surprised that, I mean, yeah, he might have been young, but I, I watched and didn't understand all sorts of shows that I was too young for. And <laughs> it would have been, uh, that was the obvious parallel there, but he didn't. Yeah. He didn't go it to Moonlighting. It was the best. Moonlighting was the one that, like, my parents let me watch Cheers. They did not let me watch Moonlighting. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about the, it was just that much more adult, just like a little bit more adult or something. Maybe it was just that it came on after and you were in bed then. I believe it was four years of sexual tension you could cut with a knife. There, there's there's yes. a line in Guardians of the Galaxy where I really thought they were going to go there, where he where I really expected him to say, you know what? This isn't Cheers. It's moonlighting, and that's not what the line yeah. is. And I was like, "You're right there. You're right there. Just say it." Like this, it, it oh, would this... have been. It would have been great. <laughs> it no. would have been amazing. But uh, yeah. they didn't. They didn't. There, there were enough pop culture references in this movie. Let's uh, let's be clear. There were many. How could that kid not have Bruce Willis as like his personal hero? Mm. He leaps that's, up on the desk and yells, "Cut to the chase music, boys!" Like, how is that <laughs> not the show that he would? You know, yeah, right. Good point. But I did like the fact that uh, you know he's he makes the one pop culture reference, and then he's just so mad and he's completely at sea and he can't think of anything. So it would be a show that doesn't exist. <laughs> I did like that yeah. he found himself backed into that corner and yep. then just. Kept, kept at it anyway. It was pretty great. I did like that. So I have a lot of complex headcanon about how those cassette tapes are still playing. And <laughs> and, and, uh, and they involve... Lots of pencils, they lots involve, of scotch tape. Well, I, I think it involves like alien technology is used to make duplicates of the tapes uh, or the tape's content. And they're saved in other forms too so that he can still have the music even if the tapes die. And that perhaps there's mm-hmm. some sort of new power source that's been retrofitted into the Walkman in order for it to play it. Uh, or perhaps they smuggle in some of those things that come off Earth in various forms. Because of course, at the end of the movie, he gets a Zune with 300 songs on it oh my god it's what everybody's listening to how must jay allard have felt after this it's a (laughs) punchline good punchline 300 songs did they find like the one zoom that's still around where did they where did they get powers up yeah it it, it is amazing that uh mp3 players are now uh, like old signifiers because watching the first episode of iron fist there's a whole like thing that it dwells on that he's got an original iPod because he's been gone 15 years and I'm like wow mp3 players are relics that used that are used to date characters now <laughs> good lord could we talk about Craglin for a second he, sure. he's the I had to look his name up in, in IMDB so after he, the end of the movie he's Kirk from Gilmore Girls but he's also the director's younger brother and he's and he's um Yandu's like second. Yeah. And Sidekick, he's just yeah. he's such a fun, sweet character. Um he seems yeah. like was he in the first movie? Yes. Was he yes. was he there? Yeah. Okay. He 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 seems like he's sort of there by accident, but he's like capable enough that 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 he can get his feet under him and and make decisions and and sort of move the plot along when the mo- plot needs moving along and i loved the it was my favorite part of the credit sequence is is him trying to um trying to power the arrow, the arrow. yeah <laughs> and i just i would totally watch 
more of him. I don't know if I would want him to like have his own movie or whatever because I don't know if his character is rounded enough for that. But he he was the only surprise to me in this movie. I think mm. was that he was just sort of there being sweet and awkward and being upset that that he'd accidentally started this um, this mutiny just from asking a question. Um, and, and that he then felt that he needed to redeem himself after that. I felt like in some ways he had like the biggest character journey of anyone in, well, except maybe for Quill, but that's only because like that entire character journey was just shoehorned in completely. But (laughs) the, I just, I just liked him. He was there. He wasn't doing all that much, but what he was doing was enough and it was great. And I loved him. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed him very much. He's he also um does rocket on set. Uh, yeah. That's part of part of why he's there. I was gonna mention speaking of so we do have the mutiny against Yondu by the Ravagers, and uh and that's one of those things that Craglin ends up regretting it and he ends up sort of like getting them out of it again. I do want to mention at least the extended series of jokes about the lead mutineer <laughs> whose name is Taserface. Um. And why would you what have a name? What kind of a name is Taserface? Like Taserface. <laughs> and uh, that just made me laugh a lot. There is a Marvel character named Taserface. And I think James Gunn just decided that he thought that would be really funny. The idea that somebody picks a name <laughs> yeah. that he thinks is super intimidating and everybody laughs at it because it's ridiculous because he's Taserface. <laughs> wait, wait, your name is Taserface? Yeah. Amazing. I enjoyed that. That was that was some fun. You know, I, I, I can complain about the saggy middle and the fact that Kurt Russell, like Kurt Russell, I love Kurt Russell. He kinda you know, he does what he does what's expected of him. He's he's chummy at the beginning and then at the end he gets growly and evil and he's fine, but you know, that part of the movie didn't really work for me. It, it, it was, it was okay, but everything around it, I really enjoyed. I, that's the thing is I, yeah. I did enjoy this movie and I may enjoy it more on other viewings, knowing what I know now about how it's shaped, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I did, but like the Kurt Russell stuff was just, it's a good idea. And I really wanted to see Kurt Russell and, and, uh, and Chris Pratt kind of like have more to do. And that part is, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that, that yeah. they didn't get more to do because yeah, Kurt Russell's not much at all to do. He's super charismatic and interesting in a really, really long movie. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this, this is the best, this is now the best Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone film out there. <laughs> okay. If they had taken the, you have godlike powers thing, more if they'd done more with it so that if they'd done anything with it if they'd done anything with it you're right so that when there's that reveal that of course he's the one who put the tumor in 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 meredith's brain when so that there's more for um for peter quill to lose if he decides at that point to you know go after his dad um I mean, that would have been what, 10, 15 minutes? That would have been so much more for him to then have to say goodbye to and have a decision to make instead of the automatic, well, I've known you for 30 minutes, but you're biologically my dad and you tossed a ball around with me, but now I have to kill you because you killed my mom. I almost wanted another step in the relationship, like like mm-hmm. like that they don't yeah. meet 
and go straight back to his planet. But like they meet and, and somewhere in space and have a conversation and maybe he unlocks some of this power. And then Peter like uses the power and discovers that this is the awesome thing about about having this power and he can protect his friends and all of that. And then he goes to his dad's planet and realizes there's a horrible price, something like that, where there was sort of like a midpoint in the relationship. And then he could, maybe Peter becomes kind of more convinced. And, and so that that moment, because the moment where he says that I I felt really bad when I gave your mom the, the brain tumor is like, I don't feel it's earned. I feel like it comes out of nowhere because it's the point in the movie Mm. where he has, it has to happen. There has to be a turn. You know, I don't, I, I disagree. I I I I liked the sudden turn there. I I I, I guess mm-hmm. I could see where you're coming from about it not being earned, but the you know he's 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 tempted. He's exploring and all this other stuff, and then the one line and that's it. Right. Um, I just want I, I, I like just wanted that. them to mosey up to that line, and and I I, th- mm-hmm. I felt like he just drops it like boom. Now I'm going to drop this, right. and then the response is is great. Right. Like Chris Pratt's like whoa, like. It was fun that we played catch, but you know that's. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. It's now. over now, right? I just, I just figured that there maybe there could be more there, and it comes back to that same thing, which is my feeling like something's missing. Like they go straight to the planet, and then they're just on the planet, and I kind of just wanted some other phase in that relationship, other than to see his, you know, his mur- murals to himself. That fun. I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think that it's, it's all very much like. Oh, we've crashed on this thing and here's Kurt Russell and he's going to take us to his planet and that's great, right? And there's no there's no seduction. I'm seduction isn't quite the right word, but I guess in terms of like a con game it is. Uh there it's just like, "Oh, well, of course you're you're his dad. Cool, let's go." Uh whereas yeah. if if there had been a little more and maybe it would have made it a little more episodic, but have sort of a couple of quick mini adventures where you get to see he's pursuing. He's he's figured out that this kid who's running the Guardians of the Galaxy, that's his kid. And he's following him around and he's trying to get to know him. It's like, come back with me. There's more to you. Right. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And then finally, after two or three times, the third time, that's the charm. That's like, all right, all right, fine. Let's go see what this is about. Even just flashbacks to show that would show him catching up. Like the right. bonus of it would right. be like, here's some Guardians of the Galaxy aftermath. You know, he shows up at the prison after they've demolished it. He shows up <laughs> at nowhere and sees, you know, we get a glimpse into what the Guardians have been up to. And then we get a glimpse of this guy who we don't know who he is. We don't know what his deal is. We just know he's chasing them. And then, like, immediately the movie is set up with tension. Like, who is this guy? What's his deal? What does he want with the Guardians of the Galaxy? Why is he chasing them? And then he finally gets to a point where their paths intersect. And I feel like that sort of setup would have been better because then we would have gotten a better reveal of Kurt Russell than the one-inch man. Maybe we really do just want the the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy TV series because we're all talking about these things that <laughs> no, we want. Yes. That like that's like <laughs> an episode and a half right there. We just we just want like the one episode in the middle that just focuses on the two of them and get, goes deeper into their relationship so that then there's more to lose toward the end of it. And uh, it's it's funny. It's like we're stuck somewhere in the middle between TV and, and film at this point. Well, that's always been the biggest issue that I have with uh, enjoy. I, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love these movies. I there's only one of them that I haven't ever finished, and that's the Incredible Hulk. Big surprise. Um, but <laughs> that doesn't count. 
but uh, <laughs> not, not, the, not, not not that one, the other one. Uh, but neither, uh, that one either. That one either. <laughs> but I, superhero comics, an issue a month, twenty two pages a month for for years and years. So much story, so much story. Superhero movies, two hours, two or three years apart. There's so much that you could do with these characters that you can't because yeah. it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like either either time Batman has faced the Joker in a movie, it's one story and the Joker dies at the end. And you, <laughs> there's there's no lifelong nemesis thing going on. What fun is that? It doesn't work. Yeah. It's only interesting because you've brought the baggage of having read Right. All those comics for all those years, and now here they are in person in front of you facing off. That's what makes the Joker awesome in both those movies is that you have spent your entire life watching them, you know, watching them I don't know, arch each other. That's what they called it on the Venture <laughs> Brothers, right? <laughs> They're yep. like arching and arching and arching. And so and then so when you finally get to see them in person, it's it's not the payoff of the movie, it's the payoff of a lifetime of having DC comics in your box. Right. This conversation makes me curious about, you know, maybe I should check out the Guardians of the Galaxy animated series uh, because uh, story, 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 story. Right. But then I would watch it and I would not be hearing Chris Pratt, et cetera. And I probably would not be as satisfied. This is my first inkling that there is such a thing as the Guardians of the Galaxy animated series. Merchandising. It's, it's on the Disney XD, I think. Merchandising. Yeah, X- Disney XD. It's very important to be <laughs> always be merchandising. Merchandising. You know, merchandising. I tell you, the um, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe the problem with this with with this movie and again, I did enjoy it, but is that is that James Gunn got he latched onto Ego the Living Planet, which is a character from Marvel Comics. And maybe the right decision was to have Kurt Russell be someone else. Maybe Jason of Spartax, which is the Peter Quill's dad in the comics. Maybe it's some other Marvel character he takes off a shelf. Something where he could have he could get to know his son and his son could get to know him during an adventure somewhere and that they could tell this same story. The problem with it being Ego the Living Planet is they have to go to him, right? They have to go to mm-hmm. him because he is a planet and they have to live on his little planet for a while. And that just that I, I think maybe in the end, that's my complaint about this movie is that it feels static because they have to go yes. to this des- deserted planet. And one of the interesting things right. about these movies is the teeming weird space stations and planets and stuff they go to and would it have been better if this whole plot had taken place amid some adventure somewhere else in the galaxy and not on the really boring paradise planet i don't know i mean you have you have the ravager ship you have the space brothel they're both filled with craziness and then you have this very peaceful empty planet space hawaii you know it's fine and you also have to spend 15 minutes explaining how he is like a consciousness who's also a brain, who's also a planet, who's also a person, yeah. who also went everywhere and made all these kids. And but then looks like Kurt Russell. But he had to but go look, back. But looks like Kurt Russell and has all the big plastic dioramas. And it's so much narrative and an exposition just, just to explain who this person is that it becomes – it was just such a cumbersome decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might have been too far. Yeah. So too I want to ask you guys to fill in for me because I only have the vaguest recollection um, since we're talking about the comic book version of things. Um, who Stan Lee was talking to? 
Oh, it's the Watchers. Oh, Uatu! Uatu! It's the Watchers. <laughs> yeah. uh, more than just Uatu, right? There are like three of them. But that's a, yeah. a well-known character from Marvel Comics who is the... Uh, he, he Uatu lives on the moon and he watches our planet and also all the like alternate realities. He's the uh-huh. narrator of What If, the classic Marvel comic where it's like... What I if, loved What If so I much. loved it so much, I know much who he too. is and I think that there are people who made th- who for whom that cameo was lost because... Well, they have no idea what's happening. Except it doesn't matter, right? If if, if you want, it's just yeah. the Stan Lee cameo. He's talking to a bunch of aliens, right? He's telling stories <laughs> to a bunch of bald aliens, and it doesn't matter. And if you know they're the Watchers, it's extra funny. And it was extra funny because I I was like, oh look, that's there's we got the Watchers. Howard the Duck reappears briefly too, so we get a little uh, so great. little extra Howard. And I Duck love thing. that it's it's not just Stan Lee talking to them; it's Stan Lee saying, "Well, and in this adventure, I was this guy," and in this and and sort of making fun of the fact that he's in all the Marvel mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. I was actually kind of surprised to see them there because I thought they'd be tied up with Fox and uh, Fantastic Four and stuff. But yeah, that's why they didn't name them. Oh, interesting. Uh, anything before we go, anything else that we didn't cover that you think we should, uh, we should mention David Hasselhoff cameo check. I should throw that in there. And that was exactly the right amount of David Hasselhoff for any project. Yep, that was a punchline. Yes. <laughs> it was the punchline. It was perfect. And then that was it. Cause he is. Mm-hmm. If you are agnostic to favorable towards 3d, uh, see this in 3d. Um, they, they do, they use it well. Okay. Good to know. Since I am not agnostic or favorable toward 3D, <laughs> but it's good to know. I, I'm one of those people who, have, who bought the 2D glasses, so if I have to go to a 3D showing, I can just not see the 3D. That's, yeah. They make those. I have them. That's a thing? Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, you, you can buy 2D glasses. They're, pol- they're both polarized the same way, so you put them on a 3D movie, and then you only see one of the uh, one of the So it's size. flat, but it isn't blurry? Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. 2D glasses. It's pretty cool, actually. Check them out. They're available on Amazon. Into that. Yeah, I bought some last year. Be a rebel. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, it's a fun movie. And I think um, one of the things I like about these movies is that Marvel, you know, Marvel movies are of a kind a lot of the time. And superhero movies in general are of a kind. There are the beats that they need to hit. And Guardians of the Galaxy is different and 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 the stories are shaped kind of differently and the tone is a little different and the space stuff is part of it you know is this really a superhero story at all or just a science fiction story i think that's part of it too but i I enjoy that this is as we said at the very beginning right it's fun one of the things that i felt going out of the first movie was i hadn't had so much fun in a big blockbuster movie in a long time some there's something to be said for a fun space adventure like um that was the feeling when i saw the firefly movie serenity in the theater i was like this is was just fun it was like a fun adventure and guardians of the galaxy was like that and so full credit to to james gunn for putting this movie together it is it is still fun and uh not like other marvel or movies or other superhero movies and i really appreciate that about it so you know it that's that's even we can quibble about some of the stuff in it, but I, I'm glad that a movie like this is allowed to exist inside the billion dollar, billions of dollars machine that is Marvel's cinematic franchise, right? Yeah. 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 I think we're fortunate. We're, we're, we're fortunate to have movies like this that do not end <laughs> with the, I, although I guess the destruction of the universe is threatened at the end of the movie, but it's really a right in the end. Love conquers but- all. That's right. They literally saved the galaxy. Again, 
two time savers of the galaxy. Yeah. They get to raise their rates now. They do. Yeah. Just think. One of the things that I think, um, and I am going somewhere with this. All right. I feel like there wouldn't be a Deadpool without Guardians of the Galaxy because I feel like they did kind of the, they, they stepped yeah. a little bit out of the standard mm-hmm. issue comic movie, comic yep. book movie. Totally. And yeah. so I think that was what allowed them to go, yeah, maybe we should take this Deadpool thing seriously. Yeah. Having a movie that takes these chances and makes a lot of money makes everybody who is worried about the future movies a little more courageous, right? Just a little mm-hmm. more courageous. And then right. Deadpool does right. well. And then everybody's looking through the intellectual property binders for things <laughs> that they can do as R-rated uh, uh, superhero movies. And, and then, you know, that'll probably lead yeah. to terrible places. But I agree that this is, this, this the first movie really opened up the playbook uh, because it did so well and full credit to the people who I, I think that was literally just a tossed off movie like it's their, their second movie of the summer if it doesn't do well that's fine they they can afford to take a gamble mm-hmm. which is the same with Ant-Man which I liked a lot and and is a different feeling kind mm-hmm. of Marvel movie yeah. it was the same deal yes. it was like the pressure was off the second movie of the summer and the result was something really good that opened the door for other stuff but this gets back to what uh, Helene uh, led with when we started talking about that you know Guardians of the Galaxy 1 opened the door for a lot of innovative stuff in other movies Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is not that innovative it is more calculated. It is uh, it, it is designed to continue what you got out of the first movie, and I'm 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 down with that, and I loved this. But um, was I surprised by it, or was it as was it as groundbreaking uh, compared to the first one? No, it wasn't. But but now here's my question: having having said that, you were surprised by Guardians of the Galaxy one. That's great. I loved it. I was surprised by it too. But what surprise do we need from it now? We kind of want more Guardians, right? What What is it going to do to suddenly be, you know, oh, this was a totally surprising movie? If you know? it gets more like, if, if, it, if we get into season seven of Star Trek The Next Generation Syndrome, then I think your answer is that, yeah, they, I think right. there's, only, they, they, they moved it forward by focusing on the family and the relationships of the characters and stuff like that. Um, but then there's going to be a Guardians 3, and then there's going to be a Guardians 4, and then there's going to be a Fast and Furious 8. And then, you know, <laughs> if it goes, that there is a point of diminishing yeah, returns. I guess, oh, absolutely. I guess I would absolutely. say that, that, that the second one is probably not, it, it's probably fine that it is what it is. And I, I actually, I would argue that, that the big uh, thing that it does is not amp up the, um, even though there is a lot of explosion uh, universe saving at the end of the movie, I'd say it, it actually amps up that uh, that love conquers all feeling that right. instead of having a wacky dance off at the end of the movie, they have this <laughs> emotional decision that is what resolves the movie. And I think that was kind of a bold choice. Um, so it was, it, know, and it was different in its own way. That's, I mean, that's part of why I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't With talk a problems. lot about the, you know, they spent a lot of time eulogizing Yondu. 
at the end of the movie. I mean, yeah. and and I yeah, I'm a sentimental guy. I I actually did have tears streaming down. I also yep. know of people who were not moved by it because, you know, he's a secondary character. He's not that important and, to the story. And because they're dead inside. You should stop hanging Apparently, out. Apparently, I'm dead inside. I I didn't <gasps> I I know. I know. I I just uh, No, the I mean, it wasn't Spock. Don't get me wrong. No, it wasn't. No, no. The the thing that that uh, now we're getting back into specifics, but they <laughs> they broadcast what he was going to do so much earlier than he actually did it with with yes, um yes. with Rocket giving him like the 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 arrow and the and the the suit yeah and saying okay Even with now the Stallone monologue once you see it's coming. Yeah. And it was like, okay, and that I think just goes sort of back to the sentimentality stuff, which is which is very much about, you know, telling and not showing. And I just sort of sat there like feeling like it it wasn't earned. And I wanted it to be earned. I wanted to feel more for Yandu and his death than than I was feeling. Um I mean, the line, the one, and it, what I did feel really did, like we were saying before, um, come back down to, oh, I'm forgetting the actor's name. Coop, was it Cooper? What, what's his, his name? Um, who plays Yondu? It, it, it comes oh, down Rooker. to Michael Rooker, Rooker. Rooker, Rooker, Michael Rooker. I knew it was Michael something. Um, his performance, the way he says that, you know, ego may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy, which is a great line. But also the delivery was just amazing, yeah. like as he's about mm-hmm. to die. And it's just like, that's that's the one thing. It's all he has to say. And that's what, and, and that in itself is, is sort of the distillation of the relationship between them. And it's like, if we could have just had that and not like the big send off and the, the Sylvester Stallone and <laughs> Like we're going to literally <laughs> watch his body turn into yeah. little flakes and go out into space. It's that yeah. level of detail. Yeah. It's probably unnecessary. Yeah. 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 No, it, it was it was that moment where he says that you know, he wasn't your daddy. That's what got me crying. Yeah. Not the rest of it. Yeah. The rest of that was pretty. That was what did me in. But, yeah. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone having a renewed respect for him at the end didn't, yeah. Mm, no. Whatever. No. <laughs> I didn't care as much St- about that. Stallone, but... Stallone don't make me cry. I think the sadness for me, though, was for Peter in that moment, because when you think because at the end of the day, he lost his dad and he lost lost his dad. dad. Yeah. And like, again, you know, like, hey, I finally made it out and at least I can go back to the way things were. Yeah, no. And I think that for me was the thing that made me so sad about about Yondu laying down his life that way. Um, And but also, I think a little bit of it was, uh, I'm really sad that we probably won't have any Rooker in the next one. Um, but for the most part, it was just that I was, I was really sad for like the fallout of what that, what that was going to do to Peter on a, on a fundamental level. Yeah. You know, making that, you know, how that was going to warp him and, and you know, what that's going to do to him later. So yeah, to take it back to the stuff I like, you know, like West um, Westworld. This is one of his cornerstone memories, you know, and mm-hmm. and in Doctor Who, like the Doctor has to travel for a while by himself because he can't be around anybody else. And like, is that what's going to happen to Peter now? Is he going to feel like he needs to be alone and, you know, like make things worse between 
him and Gamora and him and Rocket and, and him and Drax, like the rest of, you know, his family, is he going to wall himself off from that so he never has to feel like this again? What's going to happen? Like, yeah, I, th- I, I think about this stuff a lot. Stay tuned for season three. He's going to end up in the mental institution in Legion. Mm. <laughs> That's it. Oh, crossover. Dang. Could be well that way you can be with Aubrey Plaza again. So that'll, be, that'll all work. Peter. <laughs> all right. We, that, we will leave it here. I hope uh, everybody out there has enjoyed our uh, quick. Uh, it's weird to talk about a movie I've only seen the one time, but uh, we did it. We, except for Chip, who's seen it two and a half times now. Um, <laughs> thank you to all of my panelists, Helene Wecker. It was a pleasure as always. It was fantastic to be here. Thank you. Kelly Gamont, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. David J. Lohr, thank you. Thank you, of course. The, these are all going to be like sprinkled through the end credits, right? That's right. This is a, And now before I say goodbye to Chip, okay. a mid-credit sequence in which Stan Lee thanks you for listening to it. No, Chip, thank you for going above and beyond to watch this movie a second and a half time. Jason, you're beautiful on the inside. Right. <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I appreciate the compliment. I'll take it. And uh, crank up the Fleetwood Mac, I guess. And thanks for listening to the Incomparable. We will see you next time.